Thanks for listening to the Dear Exiles podcast. This message was originally preached on February 6, 2022 to City Church in downtown Iowa City. I'm going to read a passage today um, that comes from a letter from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, and he was writing to this young pastor named Timothy who helped pastor a church in the city of Ephesus in the first century, not long after Jesus was on the earth. And this letter is found in the Bible in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4, 7 through 8 is what we're going to read. This is what Paul writes. He says to Timothy, but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So I asked you guys in our icebreaker today to answer the question, um, in what area of your life would you like to have more discipline or be more disciplined? And a lot of times people answer that question by you know, talking about how much TV they're watching or um, you know, how much food or soda they're consuming or how much time they're spending on social media. And they'll say, I just want to be more disciplined about those areas. You know, I don't want to whittle the, the hours away on Instagram. You know, I don't, I don't want to, um, to do that when I have a goal of reading more books, for example. Or I really want to exercise self-control and self-discipline so that uh, I'm making healthier food choices so that my cholesterol level can go down and my blood pressure won't be so high and uh, I want to discipline myself you know by going to the gym three times a week so I can reach my fitness goal you know so I can do 20 push-ups or I can bench press 200 pounds or whatever it is and we've probably all known people who've trained right they've trained their bodies to run marathons anybody known anyone who's done that or anyone done that here yeah Couple, okay, couple, couple. We're like a few degrees away from these people, right? Or unless, are you saying you've run one? No, okay. But oh my gosh, they spend so much time in training, right? There are like scheduled days of training where they run certain distances, and then these scheduled days of recovery and rest, and they're eating certain things that are going to fuel their run, and then they're eating other things that are going to help them, like recover and they have to be so very disciplined if they want to run that marathon. We have been talking the last few weeks about opening to God, making ourselves available to God through prayer uh, and meditation and scripture reading so that we can just be open to however God wants to reveal himself to us through the Holy Spirit. But what I haven't mentioned to you is that uh, these things, prayer and Bible reading and silence and, and meditation in Christian tradition are often referred to as spiritual disciplines. Now, some people say spiritual practices, but for most of church history, they've thought of them as spiritual disciplines, activities that require us to practice denying ourselves from time to time, denying ourselves maybe the impulse of the moment, Uh, that might be most appealing, whether that's, you know, playing video games or Netflix or dessert or sleeping in, in order to just make ourselves more available to God, to make ourselves more present to what God's doing in our lives. The well-loved writer, Henry Nouwen, anybody know Henry Nouwen? I recommend his books. He said that in the spiritual life, the word discipline means the effort to create some space in which God can act. Discipline means to prevent everything in your life from being filled up. 
So the Apostle Paul, missionary to the the early church, the non-Jewish world in the first century, he wrote to that young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege and his mentee. And he was, like I said, he was pastoring this church community. He was young. And there were some people in Timothy's church community who had departed from their faith. And they were teaching and paying attention to teachings that were anti-Christ. They were against the message of the gospel. They were against um, the, the rules that had been given to the Christian community. And so they were demanding that Christians train their bodies in a particular way by like abstaining from certain kinds of food or eating certain kinds of food. And they also were demanding that Christians not get married. Like they were saying the way to be holy and live a life that's, you know, uh, honoring of the Lord, you need to stay celibate. You know, so they were teaching all this stuff. And Paul told Timothy in chapter four, you know, correct those brothers and sisters who'd been led astray by those teachings to deny themselves marriage or to deny themselves certain foods in order to be holy. And instead of following those teachings, instead of denying yourself these like bodily things in this life, which Paul called irreverent and silly myths, he told Timothy that he and the church community should all practice self-discipline in order to be godly. He says Timothy should, quote, train himself for godliness train himself for godliness. So what does that even mean, right? Like what what does godliness even look like? How would you know if you've even trained for godliness successfully? Um, Well, I answer this question by going back to the fact that Jesus told his disciples that if you've seen me, then you've seen what the Father is like. If you've walked with me, if you've talked with me, if you've seen how I interact with people, then you know exactly what Father God is like. So train oneself in godliness, uh, and that means train oneself to have the qualities of Christ himself. It's a way of just saying being a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ. That word disciple is really linked to the word discipline. You guys see how it is? Um, Disciples discipline themselves by submitting to the example and the model of their teacher. And so Jesus modeled many self-denying practices, many many practices that required self-discipline in his life and his ministry. He fasted from food. He engaged with scripture on a regular basis. He prayed. He embraced silence and solitude, would often go off by himself just to be quiet with God. He embraced a life of simplicity and submission to others, even though he was God. And Paul told Timothy that training himself for godliness, for having these qualities of Christ, it was better than training for a marathon. It was better than training to run in the races or bench pressing 200 pounds if they tried to do that back then. Because training for godliness has benefit not just in this life, but also eternally, also in the life to come. You know, most people who train for marathons don't retain those benefits into their 70s or 80s or 90s and certainly not past this life, right? Maybe a few of them do, but um, let's be honest, like those benefits don't last, right? Our bodies do eventually wear out and they expire, but training oneself for godliness, it has lasting benefits. And so Why does a person train for anything? If you think about what you've trained for recently in your own life, 
you know, we train ourselves so that um, when the moment comes when we need to perform our best, we're ready because we've practiced. You know, it feels easier. We know what to do. We train at the gym maybe to, to build strength. And then gradually, as we lift heavier and heavier things at the gym or we're able to do more and more push-ups or whatever, we find ourselves at home and we need to move the couch. And all of a sudden, we're like, wow, I can lift this. Like, I could never do this before. Um, in the past, I, I wasn't able to do that. And godliness, I think, is similar. And when we train ourselves in godliness the way that Jesus did and practice spiritual disciplines, it's so that the character of Christ flows out of us easily and that we're ready with a kind word when someone speaks harshly to us. Or we're ready to deny temptations to steal or to gossip or to covet somebody else's things. Spiritual disciplines just help us to be more ready for those Christ-like qualities to flow out of us in all kinds of difficult situations. I don't think it's very hard for us to um, demonstrate Christ-like qualities when everything's easy, right? And like, you know, we're not suffering and nothing's hard. You know, it's, it's not a problem. We can all be like, you know, the most lovely, pleasant people in the world, right? If everything's going well for us. But, but discipline for godliness, it, it allows us to be on that journey where we'll begin to act more like Christ when we do have to be patient, when we are suffering, when things are hard, when we're tempted. So I say all that, and I talk about training, but I also want to say this other thing, and it might feel like a paradox, that we ourselves cannot actually bring about Christ-likeness and transformation all by ourselves. We actually can't do it all by ourselves. It is not something that we can like muster up in our own strength to be more like Jesus. We actually need the Holy Spirit, and we need the grace of God to be able to do that. And the writers of Scripture are really clear that just as God draws us to himself and saves us through his grace, we're also transformed by his grace, by his help, by his divine aid. For instance, Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians, and he said in chapter 1, verse 6, he said, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God was the one who started this good work in you to mature you and develop you to become more like Christ, and he's going to continue working on you until Jesus comes back is basically what he says. And then Jesus' disciple Peter urged believers in his letter in the New Testament, in 2 Peter 3.18, he said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in your experience of God's grace and your experience of knowing him more intimately. So we grow when we are exposed to God's grace. But the spiritual disciplines are like this way, this tool that we can use to really open ourselves to experience God's grace so that he can do the work of transformation in us. There's a Wesleyan minister named Linda Gist, and she says that, quote, in general, a discipline is any activity within our power that we engage in to enable us to do what we cannot do by direct effort. We intentionally engage in activity activities and reflection that we can do to give God the opportunity 
to work in us the changes we cannot do ourselves. Okay, so this work of transformation, it's a work of the Spirit of God. Training oneself in godliness, it means practicing these spiritual disciplines. And most of these spiritual disciplines are seen in the life of Jesus himself. Um, Dallas Willard is the author of a a really well-known book about the disciplines called The Spirit of the Disciplines. He organized the disciplines into two categories, but you could think of them however you want, organize them however you want. But I, I thought what he said was helpful. He said there are some disciplines of abstinence and there are some disciplines of engagement. So disciplines of abstinence are when we like actively, purposefully do not do something that we want to do. And then disciplines of engagement are things that we on purpose do that might be hard to do, right? Like, or that we might rather do something else right in that moment. Um, so for example, disciplines of abstinence would include solitude, like abstaining from the company of people, Um, silence, abstaining from noise, that would distract us, fasting, abstaining from food, frugality, abstaining from excess spending, chastity, abstaining from sex outside of um, uh, God's guidelines for sex, and sacrifice of some kind or another. And then disciplines of engagement are those that cause us to engage, like the discipline of the study of scripture, worship, prayer, service to others, fellowship with other believers, through gathering together weekly or regularly, um, the discipline of confession. Now, we're not a Catholic church, but something that the Catholic church does that is actually a wonderful discipline is confession. It's actually just like practicing being honest and um, authentic about um, our sin so that we cannot carry that shame with us so that another believer can say, hey, guess what? God forgives you. Like, go in peace, right? Um, So there are different ways to think about these disciplines, but what I want us to, to remember is that they don't in themselves have power to transform us. They're not magic rituals that will produce predictable outcomes. I think of the spiritual disciplines a little bit like this. So let's say both you and I are coffee mugs or cups. Like think of your favorite beverage container. Maybe it's a can, maybe it's a two liter. Um, I like um, the largest cup I can get from Starbucks. Like I'll just say that. Anybody with me? Um, So maybe you have a really, we are all cups, let's just pretend, and we're all filled with our favorite beverage, all right? And maybe you have a tasty latte in your cup. My favorite thing from Starbucks is like a 20-ounce decaf latte with soy milk, sugar-free vanilla syrup, and one stevia. And my friend from Seattle told me this week that I order coffee like someone from Seattle. But anyway, you probably have your own special combination or specific drink that you like. So anyway, let's just say I am a cup. My life is a cup. I'm filled up with this delicious, sweet Starbucks latte Well, the spiritual disciplines invite me to, as I'm standing in the grass outside Starbucks, dump a little bit or a lot of that Starbucks latte out on the grass. I know that's horrifying, right? Like that $6 beverage, right? And the foam, and it's so warm. And before I can even take a sip, spiritual disciplines invite me to dump some or all of it out on the grass. 
Maybe for you it's a monster or a Pepsi. Please don't take this metaphor literally, OK? Um, maybe for you it's red wine. It begs the question, like, why would we do that, right? Why would we do that? If our lives were cups filled up with goodness, why would we dump it out? And it's so that we can fill ourselves with what is most nutritious to our souls. It is so we can fill ourselves up with God. See, when my metaphorical cup is filled up with a Starbucks latte, you know, there is no room for any other beverage in it. I can't be nourished by anything else if my cup is so full. And I'm so satisfied with the comforts of my life. So if we're people, and not everyone is, but if we're people in this room who are so satisfied by what's in our cup, maybe the, the resources God has given us, the pleasures that we're privileged to, to indulge in or take part of, um, our jobs, our bank accounts, you know, our, our family relationships, like if we're so satisfied by what's in our cup, um, by the comforts of our lives, by the ready availability of so many things, right? Like how many programming platforms are there now? How many amazing video games? Um, how many parties and gatherings can we go to, right? How many choices we have and freedom to choose what to do with our lives? We could go so much of our Christian lives and miss having an ongoing experience of the grace of God that transforms us. We really could. We can miss the ongoing experience of the grace of God that heals us, that makes us better lovers of people, that makes us you know, kinder, that makes us more like Christ, simply because our cups are just so filled with other things. Things that are satisfying in this life, of course, but not eternally satisfying, not as, um, not as satisfying as the encounter with God's grace. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, train yourself the way Christ trained himself by intentionally emptying your cup. Set aside time for prayer, for fasting, for solitude, for silence, for scripture reading. Embrace simplicity, worship, gather with other believers to encourage them. Train yourself for godliness by doing these things. Train yourself to dump out all of your Starbucks latte or some of it on a regular basis, right? Or your monster drink. Um, and when you regularly make room to experience the grace and knowledge of Jesus, um, you will see how God acts and transforms you through the Holy Spirit. And over time, as we do these things, as we grow in our, in our spiritual disciplines, um, we'll increase our sense of closeness to God. And God will work in our hearts to produce the kind of character qualities that Jesus himself embodied. Uh, in his letter to the Galatian Christians, Paul uh, was talking about the character qualities that the Holy Spirit produces in believers. And again, these are not things that we can muster up ourselves, right? There's really something supernatural about a man who is dying on the cross and who says, God, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing to me. And Paul says the Holy Spirit produces that kind of character uh, in you. And he uses a metaphor about fruit in order to describe it. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, 
and self-control. We know from being around Wilson's apple orchard that growing things produce things that grow, right? The apple will fall to the ground, its seed will sprout up, and it will grow. Um, cattle grow, and they procreate, and they produce calves. Dandelions in my yard grow, and they have seeds that scatter, and they make more dandelions. Apple trees produce apples. In the life of a believer who's growing in the grace and the knowledge of God, the Holy Spirit's going to produce more love in them, more peace, more patience, more joy. Um, there are times in my life as a Christian where I would be in like groups, small groups with other believers, and I would, I would hear um, other Christians just feeling like so frustrated at themselves, like, oh, I'm so bad, I need to be more patient, you know, like, and, and they just could never accomplish it, like, in their own might. Kind of, it felt almost like at times there was a checklist of, like, be more patient. I just want to check that box. But it's not something we can do. Like, it's a, it's a supernatural thing that God accomplishes in us as we submit to his spirit. And so that fruit of the Holy Spirit will flourish in our lives, not just when things are going great, but when things are hard, when people criticize us, or we have to wait or circumstances make us disappointed, or we're confused by loss or by an unexpected change, the result of us making room to encounter God's grace through these disciplines is that we're going to grow in the good fruit um, that is produced by the Holy Spirit. So before I I end this morning, I want to highlight a couple disciplines that we embrace together on Sunday morning. And as I'm talking, if you guys want to pass around the communion tray, I forgot to mention that earlier. I'll just let you guys do that. Um, A few disciplines that we practice together just by coming here on Sunday mornings. If you're a regular attender, you are actually practicing a spiritual discipline by gathering with other believers on Sunday morning, making yourself available Uh, for the work that God can do in your heart and in our church community as you just come, as you worship, as you hear scripture, thanks, and as you encourage one another. You know, on Sundays when we're here, we also pray together. And usually we pray liturgical prayers. We pray prayers that we know, that we've um, prayed before. But each week we set aside time to marinate under those same powerful words of truth, about God and about ourselves. And what we're doing is we're, we're leaving room for God's grace by praying. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit sometimes sparks something in us. I don't know about you, but are there times when you read the prayer of St. Francis at the end and you think, ooh, I've really been seeking to be understood more than I've been seeking to understand. Does anybody feel this way? Like, Or like, ooh, like, am I contributing light into this situation? Oh, I think the Holy Spirit's showing me, like, I have been so negative about this one situation. I'm contributing darkness. And it's the Holy Spirit who reminds me in those moments, in that little container we've made of that discipline of prayer. Um, And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts me of that and the Holy Spirit who empowers me to, like, go out of this place and do something different and live differently when I get home or I get back to that situation. Does this happen every Sunday? No, it doesn't happen every Sunday. Not every time I pray or worship God, but if we do these things regularly and frequently enough, we'll begin to see that we experience God's grace 
and that will grow in his grace simply because we're making that room. And another thing that we do on Sunday morning is we sing together. Mayo and Molly led us in worship today. We sing songs of worship to God, and that is a spiritual discipline. Um, I know there are words, right? And I know that our voices on Sunday morning might be kind of gravelly and hoarse, or you may not feel like you're the best singer, that you can carry a tune as well as somebody else, but it is a spiritual discipline to like stand here and sing our worship to God, not because we necessarily feel inspired at that very moment to break into song, but because we know that God's worthy of our love and our, our worship. Um, and it's, it's actually very rare that I spontaneously feel like singing in worship, but when I discipline myself to sing songs of worship to God, the act of that, the container I make, the space I make to do that, in that time, those words often begin to remind me of who he is again. And all I can say is that like, my heart will be warmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. My heart might be softened or drawn to him by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes I'll start worship not really feeling like it, and by the end, I have tears in my eyes because I, I know that I'm seeing God better than knowing him better than I had just a moment before. Again, these moments don't happen every Sunday. They don't happen every time. But when we do it regularly and frequently, when we discipline ourselves, we see we'll begin to experience God's grace more frequently. So I want to give you just some practical advice and a couple words of caution as we move on from this. Um, a couple don'ts about the disciplines, okay? Don't practice the disciplines out of fear. Don't practice them because you're afraid. Um, sometimes, and in some traditions, there's an imbalance that comes. We teach about the value of things like this, and then um, it's sometimes easy for us to interpret that, like, ooh, we're bad if we don't do these, and God doesn't love us if we don't do these things right or enough. So don't do them out of fear, okay? That's a, not the right motive. Um, that's not the point of the disciplines. Don't practice disciplines to prove you're worthy of God's acceptance and love. So you may not feel worthy of God's love, but he says he loves you anyway, right? Doesn't matter. So don't do the discipline to prove to yourself that like you're a good enough Christian. That's not why we do them. Um, or you know uh, that you're trying to earn credit with God. That's not why we do them. Another don't. Don't practice discipline so that you can boast about your achievements. Um, Jesus said, when you fast, don't go around looking mournful and sorrowful and let everybody know that you're fasting. Like, you know, make your face like how it normally is and um, your reward is between you and God. So don't practice it so you can boast about your achievement because of you're so holy, because you're practicing these. Spiritual growth, it isn't a competition. It's just about knowing God better. It's about a deeper relationship with him. So do approach the disciplines knowing that you are unconditionally loved by God already and that he is inviting you. He is beckoning you to just come and receive more from him. Nothing you can do has any power to change whether he loves us or not. Do approach the disciplines with a desire to make yourself available to grow in knowing God and in the grace of God. 
So as I've been speaking to you this morning, maybe what's come to mind is an idea about how you want to empty your cup. Maybe you need to pour out from your life just a few of the little things that so easily satisfy you, like maybe that extra sleep in the morning. Maybe you want to pour out a little bit of that sleep so you can get up and you can sit quietly with God for five to ten minutes before you go into your routine. Maybe it's joining the Bible study that we're going to start. So you can set aside time, an hour, you know, a few times a month to study the Bible with other believers. Maybe what you need to pour out of your cup is a little bit of your own freedom and your willingness to serve a family member or a neighbor is what you put back into it. Um, Maybe you need to pour out your desire to hang on to your own preferences and you want to um, choose the preferences of another, submit to another for their own sake. Um, Maybe it's to live more simply. Maybe it's to choose to wait to purchase something new, to find a way to do without what seems like a need. Maybe it's to just practice giving something away that feels like a real sacrifice, knowing that God is your provider, right? And that he knows what we need before we even ask him. So I would just ask you, you know, how is God maybe directing you to empty your cup today? And only you'll know that, you know, by whatever little nudge you feel in your heart. And that's the Holy Spirit um, talking to you. As we end, we're going to take communion. So I just want you to get your communion elements ready. And, you know, in taking communion, we are actively remembering the body of Jesus broken on the cross his blood that was shed on the cross, that Jesus submitted to the violence of humankind. That's like the ultimate spiritual discipline to submit to the violence done to him and still say, I forgive you. Father, forgive them. He did that in order to demonstrate God's covenant with us of forgiveness. The covenant, that's the word Jesus used. It's like a really like meaningful way of saying promise or commitment. In this new covenant, in Jesus' blood, he says, it's a covenant for the forgiveness of sins. So when we turn to him, he calls us righteous, even though we've done nothing, can't do anything to prove ourselves righteous. It's why we don't do spiritual disciplines, to get righteous. All of us have, and we have had sin in our lives, but God's so gracious, he overlooks it and forgives us. And not only that, he says he'll place his spirit in us and Uh, in anyone who believes in Jesus, confesses him as Lord. And that Holy Spirit is the one who guides us today, who um, comforts us and leads us and changes us and is with us always. The writer uh, Luke in the gospel, he wrote, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread in remembrance of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take this. Will you just pray with me for a moment? Lord, we thank you for the covenant of your blood, the promise of of forgiveness and acceptance and unconditional love for anyone who comes to you and turns from darkness. Lord, I pray for each one in this room that we would go from this place and experience just the drawing of your Holy Spirit 
that we would experience your grace. And grace is just your unmerited favor, that we would experience your unmerited favor as we um, carve out places in our life to be with you, to get to know you more. I pray that each person here, Lord, if they're struggling, if there's a question on anyone's mind, if there's a, a thing that's just bothering them, they can't let go of, if there's a question about whether they can trust you and are you really good, Lord, I pray that you would meet them in those moments, that um, you would overwhelm them with your love and reassurance and comfort. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.